ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the third episode of The Hot Corner, presented by the Hot Takes Network. Mr. Watson could not make it here today as he's away on vacation, but I'm not alone as we have a newly, new addition, I should say, to the Hot Takes Network. Uh, Varun's here with me alongside on this episode. Varun has a plethora of baseball knowledge. He's been on both the coaching side and the player side uh, of the baseball game and currently playing for the Waterloo Warriors on the varsity team. Varun, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, very excited to make my podcast debut and uh, very excited to get into all the topics regarding the Jays and the MLB and baseball in general. So we talked about the Jays since our last episode a couple weeks ago. We took a week off there. Uh, the Jays were 4-8 and eight and they had some trouble, uh, continuing trouble against the NL West where they were swept both by the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, but they were able to take four of six games against the AL East rivals, the Yankees, and the Baltimore Orioles most recently. Uh, let's start things off, talk about the last couple of weeks. What have you taken note, Varun, uh, on the Blue Jays' offense? Uh, Blue Jays' offense-wise, it's it's pretty nice to see some of the young guys really start to stroke the ball, especially Guriel, uh, Guerrero Jr., and Jansen, all stroking pretty well right now. Guriel was actually hitting 417 over the last week, and Guerrero is hitting 400 over the last week. So the young bats, especially it's nice to see Jansen start to get going too because that guy is one heck of a defensive catcher. And if he can add an offensive aspect to his game that's consistent, then he can easily jump into one of the better catchers in the MLB going forward into the future. For sure. And you know, Danny Jansen was struggling the first couple of months, and he was a guy that really the Jays wanted to take that next step, you know, getting rid of Russell Martin. So it's good to see Jansen paying off there. Uh, and Lords Gurion and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., they're the top two hitters on, on the Blue Jays right now. And Lords currently uh, just slotted into that number three hole there. You saw him in, in Camden Yards play in the middle of the lineup, and it didn't seem like it affected them too much uh, going there. But Vladimir Guerrero getting three hits in back-to-back games. And so it seems like the Blue Jays' offense – is living and dying by the, the rookies or the, the the young players because guys like Randall Gritschuk, really, have you been disappointed Randall Gritschuk so far? I mean, he had some big opportunities to score runs over the series against Baltimore, and he, he couldn't capitalize. Randall Gritschuk is such a hit-and-miss player. It's Randall Gritschuk is either on a hot streak where he can't miss the ball or he's striking out every other at-bat. It's he Defensively, he's consistent. But offensively, it's I think that he strikes out too much to hit in the middle of the order. Uh, you look at you look at guys that are hitting in the middle of the order, especially back in the days when we had Bautista and Carnacion, and those guys. Bautista was such a force in the middle of the order because he could draw walks. Grichuk doesn't draw walks. That's true. Even though Bautista was prone to those strikeouts, Bautista was on base a lot. And he was being pitched around. Richard just needs more discipline at the plate and needs to start hitting the ball the other way. He's looking to pull everything into the left field bleachers and he needs to start trying to hit line drives over second base. And he has the natural power to put the ball out of right center. And that's the interesting thing as well. I was looking up a couple of statistics here. The Blue Jays are the seventh most pull hitter team in the league. And it's nice to see those guys like Kevin Biggio and Vladimir Guerrero, they're starting to hit the ball the other way. It seems like the veterans are having a tougher time hitting the ball the other way. They're they're the most vulnerable to shifts in my mind. Uh, but, yeah, Randall Gritschuk doesn't even make a good at-bat. You know, he had a couple strikeouts on three pitches type of thing. He swings at the first pitch, a lot of swings and misses early in the count. Uh, 
And you're right there as well. When Jose, even when he wasn't hitting well, it's it's the ability to get on base through through other means. And Jose's was through walks, so that sort of helped him, you know, add some value. But Gritchuk, you know, if he's not if he's not striking out, he's hitting a home run. But the problem is, is that it's just not too uh, consistent or not consistent enough, uh, I should say there. But uh, you know, overall, the Blue Jays have been hitting the ball well right now. But I think it's the it's the the young guys that are really taking over and leading this team right now. And it seems like we're seeing what the future holds for the Blue Jays. So the young guys are obviously very much – they're deciding who's part of the future right now and maybe who we're going to cut our losses with, maybe who becomes trade bait. And what I love about seeing Teoscar Hernandez in that three-hole spot – or sorry, not Teoscar, uh, Guriel is you get pitched a lot differently when you're oh, in yeah. the three-hole. You get – you have pitchers giving you a lot more respect. You're not going to see those type of fastballs that you're going to see – when you're hitting at the bottom of the order. Uh, recently, from for the team I've been playing for, I've noticed that because I've been put up into the three-hole, and when I've been hitting at the bottom of the order, I was just looking for that one fastball that I could hit. And now, now it's a plethora of off-speed pitches, and you're seeing that at every single level of baseball, that three-spot is so respected that you're not going to get a fastball to hit an account that you want. So... Developing these young guys in those situations is just making them such better hitters. Guriel is going to become such a better hitter by facing those type of pitches and learning when to lay off, what type of pitches to hit. And he's just not going to get fastballs now that he can hit into the second deck. He's going to have to learn how to take that 0-2 curveball the other way, how to maybe expect a 0-0 changeup or a 0-1 curveball or a 2-0 curveball and do damage with those types of pitches. Being being able to hit in the, in the middle of the order is totally a different ball game, as you just said there. So seeing these young guys being able to hit early in their in the playing careers at the middle of the order definitely gives some confidence for when they're really trying to make a push and trying to lean on these guys even more. You know, as uh, you know, in a couple of years when they're trying to really you know you know not rebuild or making that transition. So uh, definitely a promising sight there for both Lords Jansen and uh, as well. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but we haven't really talked about Kevin Biggio too much. He's had a larger sample size since last time we had an episode. What is your takeaways from uh, Kevin Biggio? So Biggio is one that I was actually very excited to talk about because a lot of people are going to look at him and say, hey, over the last seven games, he's uh, he's only hit 118, and he's two for, two for 17. In his last 30 games, he's hitting 178, 8 for 45. But over his last 30 games, his OBP is 351. Yep. That guy has drawn 12 walks in his last 30 games. He's drawn five walks, let alone in his last seven games, hitting at the top of the order. He's having great at-bats. Yeah. He's having phenomenal at-bats. His, uh, his OBP right now is actually, over the last 30 games, is higher than Vladdy, who's hitting uh, over 100 points better than him. Vladdy's OBP is 330, whereas Biggio's is 351. For sure. And I, if Biggio's yep. hitting 178 over his last 30 games – and his OBP is 351. When he gets that back going, that guy's gonna be that guy's OBP is gonna be close to 500. That's that's actually ridiculous. That that guy has one of the best eyes at the plate and the ability to draw out a count an at bat to six, seven, eight, nine pitches, getting the pitcher tired, getting into the other team's bullpen, and giving his teammates more pitches to see and what the pitcher has. That guy is such an asset to have at the top of the lineup. And 
a lot of people are getting on him because he's not hitting. This is his first stint in the majors. That's going to come. Uh, maybe we, maybe you send him down to get his bat again. I'm a big believer in sending people down. Look what it did to Kevin Pillar. Look what it did to uh, Guriel. Yeah, most more recently, Guriel. Yeah, look, yeah. I don't think we're going to see that with Flatty. Uh, we, I don't, or Jansen. I think Hernandez is going to be up and down too. But that motivates that motivates people to be better, and it gives them a lot more at bats than may, they may normally see. And Biggio is going to start to figure it out with the bat eventually. For sure. And that was just about like, – that was my biggest highlight as well is he has better at-bats than a lot of veterans on this team. I'm, I've seen him down 0-2, fight battle it out to make it 3-2 again and then draw a walk or get a base hit. He's taken the ball the other way a couple times I've seen as well over his few couple of weeks, which also impresses me because that seems to be a bigger problem that young guys have, especially you know being able to use the whole field. So seeing these young guys being able to use the whole field you know, draw these long at-bats. When these guys start to get older, it's only going to get better. Uh, I like how you said there about the 500 OPB or the on-base percentage. I don't know if that's going to happen because, you know, as he gets more hits, he's going to trade hits and walks and, you know, in that sense. But I think people focus too much on average and uh, they don't really see, you know, when you see Kevin Biggio and you're watching him, it's not a 100 hitter that's up there at the plate. You know, he's, he's going to be, you know, he's going to get his hits and his average is going to go in a skyrocket. Uh, it's just a matter of time for him. So definitely a, a promising player. And it's similar to Vlad, too. It's not like he came out of the gates firing. He had his struggles. We had good quality at-bats. And look where he is now about, I believe he's 270 after the, uh, the Baltimore series. So definitely promising there. We're going to go to the other side, the pitching side, which has had a little bit more problems uh, than uh, they've had previously throughout the season. Uh, they used to be the team that relied on the, the pitching to win ball games, But it seems like the pitching sort of, Gone a little bit downhill lately, even their ace, Marcus Stroman. Is there any starter right now? You're giving the ball to your confident you're going to get a win? No. On the Jays right now, there is no starter that I'm confident that we can give the ball to and we're going to come out with a win. Purely because inconsistency. Everyone's shown flashes that they can be a productive pitcher at the MLB level, especially some of the young guys. But there's just far too much inconsistency here. Oh, for sure. And there's no confidence in the offense that they're going to put up the run support either. Because, to be honest, Stroman is having quite a good year on the mound. He is. And his record does not reflect that. It's You could call it the poor man's DeGrom in the way that DeGrom was absolutely dicing last year. I think it was an absurd stat that if his team had averaged more than two runs a game when he pitched, he would have went 26-4. and four. Which is crazy. That's absolutely insane. I think that was one of the most deserved Cy Youngs I've oh, seen yeah. in a long time. This is, that's where record isn't really indicative of a player's or a starter's effectiveness. Same thing with Stroman there at 4-8. and eight. However, he hasn't been that good down the stretch. And any starter right now, even you know Aaron Sanchez, he's, been, he's getting hit very hard right now in Houston. And even the start before that against the Diamondbacks didn't have a great start. Uh, so, you know, when you have an offense that's always trying to, you know, hope for a good start and you're always trying to battle back and always, uh, you know, never really hitting with the lead definitely has, uh, you know, some, it's definitely makes it tougher for you to win ball games. Uh, but you know, is there anyone that you're really looking to in, in the minor league system to call up? Like what's the solution? You know, I know Nick Kingham just came yesterday. Is he going to get a shot starting with the Blue Jays or is he more of a bullpen piece? I think that was very much just a depth pickup because uh, the Jays have had a lot of issues over the past few years keeping their pitchers healthy. 
And oh man, I just I just hate to see every week a notification about Sanchez's finger. Oh yeah, that's starting to really drive me insane. At what point? At what point does do we start to try to go another direction? Are you saying another direction as in Sanchez moving to the bullpen, or are you saying another direction as in you know what 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 do you what, what's your thoughts on another direction? I think trading Sanchez at this point would be very similar to getting rid of Donaldson for a player name to be later. Right. You don't want to do that because you saw that happen. We haven't even seen Merriweather yet uh, in a Blue Jays uniform. But I, I personally, if Sanchez's trade value is probably the lowest it's ever been with all of his injury history, uh, with, to be honest, he hasn't pitched all that well this year. I think that the Sanchez starting starting experiment it's not even an experiment sorry that's a poor choice of words i think sanchez's starting role needs to be a big topic of discussion within the front office this offseason because uh there's no chance in my opinion that ken giles remains on this roster past the trade deadline and if he does then someone really messed up for sure and you know what it's 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 terrible to see ken giles on the dl uh a couple days ago, he was like really the only consistent, with the exception of Daniel Hudson, he seemed to, you know, he seemed to figure things out. He was the real only consistent reliever that we could call on, uh, and, you know, to close out ball games. But you mentioned trade bait, and pitching is definitely the, the hot topic in terms of who's leaving. Strowman's had rumors with a couple of teams, the Yankees in particular. Which pitchers do you see leaving uh, the Blue Jays before the July 31st deadline? I think I see only Ken Giles. Only on Ken Giles? Because I think that we're not going to get rid of Sanchez for pennies on the dollar. And personally, I think that you build around Stroman for the future. Uh, big shout out to the Toronto Raptors who won the NBA championship. And they were led by a heart and hustle guy, Kyle Lowry. In a lot of ways, I see Stroman as the Kyle Lowry of this team. I, I think Stroman does have a few more of the negative qualities. I know Stroman lets a lot get to him. I think he's a bit too boisterous sometimes, but that that guy has so much dedication to his craft. He loves Toronto, and we're going to be very young in the years to come. And he's been here for a while. And think of the big games he's pitched in. Uh, I was at the wild card game against Baltimore when Edwin hit that walk off home run that Stroman started, and I think what he gave up two runs over six innings. He threw quite well. And he also started that big game five against Texas. Yes. Mm-hmm. Stroman has been here through the great times. And now he's he's toughing it out through probably some of the toughest years in Blue Jays baseball that we've seen since uh, since maybe, what, what was it, like 09, 010, those type of years when we were just, we just had no idea what the direction of the team was. I think that that's the type of guy that we need to mentor our younger pitchers. To we just need a veteran on the pitching staff, which is another reason I think that we should definitely try to bring back Matt Shoemaker. Yes, no, I, I'm I'm down for that as well. Just because not only is he a good veteran in the clubhouse, but he was pitching very well in his you know short tenure with the Blue Jays. A very unfortunate injury on a personal level and a team level for Matt Shoemaker. Just because you know he was he was figuring things out. Remember with the Angels, he had some some good seasons with them. They got hurt, couldn't really figure it out. This was the first time since. You know, since he had last seen success, that he was trying to, he was figuring it out, and then just to see him get uh, go on an injury was very, uh, you know, sad to see for uh, for Schumacher on a personal level as well. 
is Strowman, you know, you talk about Kyle Lowry and Marcus Strowman. I do agree with you that Kyle Lowry has less of a negative connotation to the way, you know, the heart and hustle is more of a, you know, a team building thing. I think Marcus Strowman, there's sometimes where he sort of could be potentially a bug in the, in the clubhouse. But is this sort of because he has never really been involved in a rebuilding team when he was getting called up? To the Blue Jays, they were sort of already making those. He was on like the the, the close around to the 2015 season where they were already winning ball games and above 500 baseball. This is really his worst season on a team performance level. You think that you know because he came when it was already going up and like when he was already coming in when the season and the team was already on the rise, as opposed to coming in when they were already you know rebuilding and then seeing the, seeing them succeed. Is that sort of maybe making him even more frustrated? Adding to it. There's definitely frustrations there, and I think the front office needs to sit down and have a very frank chat with Stroman saying, hey, uh, like we can see you being the guy uh, that we're going to build our pitching staff around. We can see you being the ace, but you're going to need to step up your leadership qualities. Yes. And if if he's willing to work on that, I think he's worth a four- or five-year contract on his, uh, on his free agency day. And – to be honest, I think what we need to do with Sanchez is I think Sanchez needs to be moved permanently to the bullpen. Yeah, I think that that is in the best interest of the Blue Jays. He has phenomenal stuff where, you know what, he can come out as because he's been developed as a starter and he can be your seventh and eighth inning guy. That's, that's a very good point. And his best his best uh, seasons, you know, when you look at back at Sanchez's career was when he was in the bullpen – that 7-8 type of inning guy where he was a guy that was trying to hold a, a couple run lead for the closer and he was successful. He has a hard fastball. It's his best pitch. That's very important when you're in that situation, the bullpen uh, and the blister issues. I think, you know, you, you lessen his load and that sort of stops his blister from being uh, more of a concern that, as a starter. Exactly. He's throwing less pitches. He doesn't have to go out there and pace himself to throw potentially seven innings. He can come out there. Who knows? Maybe Aaron Sanchez is our next big closer. Could be. And especially if Giles leaves, who's the next in line? Daniel Hudson, I think, is going to be the next in line if Sanchez does not get reinstated in the bullpen. Another bullpen arm that a lot of people haven't been talking about is Joe Biagini, who's been silently having quite a good year. Yes. Yeah. He's had a couple, especially recently, he's been very uh, big for the Blue Jays in the bullpen. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, yeah over. Uh, 29 appearances. He has a 3.72 ERA, which is quite respectable, especially with all the pitchers in the bullpen right now. But what impresses me the most is his 1.1 whip. That's, uh, I think, in the bullpen, only second to Ken Giles, who's 1.06. He's right up there. Like, he's not giving up a lot of walks and hits. Teams are only hitting 215 off him. Well, he's been effective out of the bullpen. He has been his whole career. It's when he tries to be a starter. But right now, yeah, Biagini's been probably our – he's in the top three of our bullpen, you know, with Ken Giles and Daniel Hudson in the mix there. Um, but it's definitely huge for the Blue Jays, uh, especially if he stays with the Blue Jays. Can he be uh, a big piece going forward? I really am curious as to why they're not hyping Biagini up and trying to give him the biggest opportunities possible because if he all of a sudden starts to have – uh, starts to close out these big games, or maybe not big games, starts to close out games for the Jays and pitches effectively in high-pressure situations. Like, I think he could fetch us uh, 
some sort of decent return for a contending team that needs another arm in the bullpen. And especially maybe a team like Tampa, who could really, really use just one more solid arm, but don't necessarily have those resources to go out and get someone big like Craig Kimbrell. They were linked to him, but he, he unfortunately for the Tampa Bay Rays went to a big market in the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, that's a big signing for the Chicago Cubs. And the bullpen's the most important piece for teams trying to go into the playoffs. That seems to be the biggest theme of success in the playoffs. So I think Ken Giles is a fair assumption that he, he, he's going to be a, at least a big a big market piece that the, the Blue Jays are going to be advertising come the July 31st uh, deadline. But we're going to move things over to the the MLB in general um, in a bit here. But – you know, you talked about the Boston Red Sox. That might—that's a big conversation right now. The Boston Red Sox and the AL East. Uh, you know, only you know one game above 500, third place in the AL East. You had to expect something a little bit better from them. You—you you almost thought that they would be where the Rays are right now. Boston has really been a disappointment. Uh, but is it 100% uh, a surprise? Because looking no. at their bullpen. Yeah, that's the biggest question going into the season as well. And their starting rotation had to carry them. They what's what's it called? Their starting rotation was likely one of the best we've seen in baseball in a really long time. With at the beginning, you had names like Sale, Porcello, Price, Nathan Eovaldi, who was just absolutely phenomenal in the World Series. Yeah, and that got him his big contract. But Eovaldi down the stretch. He's, uh, he's had loose bodies in his elbow, biceps, tendonitis. Is he going to get healthy again? Ineffective because, you know, even when he's not healthy, when he, even when he is healthy, I should say, he's not been effective. He's had some very rough starts before he went on the DL. But, you know, and you're looking at the Red Sox, they have to be shopping for at least an arm, whether it be in the rotation or the bullpen, because right now they only have two guys that you would say – are there, you know, really consistent and strong starters in Chris Sale and uh, David Price? But all the other guys, Hector Velasquez, uh, you know, I believe Weber was also uh, pitching a little bit there as a starter. Eovaldi's uh, e- e- been very poor. So, you know, but the bats, if you look at their bats right now, they're really solid. They're the best in the AL East in terms of runs scored. It's that pitching. Uh, do you think that the Boston Red Sox – could be uh, shopping for Ken Giles at uh, July 31st. I think uh, they would be out of their mind if they weren't shopping for one of those big-name relievers, which is why I really believe that they should give Craig Kimbrell that money. I believe Kimbrell didn't want to go back to Boston because I don't know how they they have they have the money to do it, they have the term to do it. I don't see why Kimbrell wouldn't have taken uh, the Boston Red Sox. That's why I kind of feel like they um, – I kind of feel like they sort of – you know, lost Kimbrel because Kimbrel didn't want to go to Boston. And that's that's very surprising to see these days that players don't necessarily want to sign back in those massive markets. And I think that's good for teams such as Tampa Bay and Toronto and maybe even Baltimore going forward just to see what type of pitchers they could pick up on the market in trades and keep them around. So we're talking about selling. Or we're talking about the Boston Red Sox trying to purchase some arms. We've seen some disappointing seasons from a lot of these guys. You know, we talk about the Blue Jays. Their season's probably already. You know, the managers think about next year. But there's some teams in that bubble right now, like the Washington Nationals, the Boston Red Sox, even who are trying to measure whether they should be selling or buying at the deadline. 
in your mind, what is the is there a line that needs to be drawn as to when you start to really evaluate your team, or is there you know there's is there still time right now for teams like the Washington Nationals? The Washington Nationals is uh, it's awesome that you said that. Uh, I know a lot of people in NFL football say that you evaluate whether you have a franchise quarterback based on the Dalton scale. If he's better than Andy Dalton, you, you keep him. If he's worse, you got to go look somewhere else. I feel in the MLB we have the national scale. If you're better. If you're better than the Nationals, over the, like in average over the years, you have a team that can contend. If you're worse, then I think you've got to blow it up. The Nationals have just been the definition of mediocrity for as long as I can remember. Yeah, they sprinkle in a couple, uh, couple playoff appearances here and there, but they never have that team that can take them to the next level no matter what moves they make. So at what point do they say, hey, we just need to blow the entire thing up? It's so surprising. Look at their star rotation. They have Max Scherzer. Patrick Corbin, you know, Steven Strasburg, they have these big names in their, in their starting rotation. And, you know, even in the, elf, even in, you know, in the lineup, they have Anthony Rendon, Juan Soto. It's that bullpen that seems to be their biggest issue, and that's really letting them down lately. And those, uh, those starters that you mentioned is exactly the, the type of names that I think Boston needs to go after if they want to make it back into the playoffs and have another run and move Eovaldi back into the bullpen. Because if Eovaldi comes back, do you really want to put that pressure on his arm to start and throw all those pitches? Because if he comes in and he's firing for one or two innings, throwing 100 miles an hour with that amazing off-speed, I think that's one of the biggest assets you could have in the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. And if you can bring in another superstar pitcher or even an arm now like maybe Madison Baumgartner has been thrown around in a lot of trade talks, like he would be a good pickup for either the Yankees or the Red Sox. That's very true. Uh, so in terms of the Nationals, do you think they should be selling or buying at this point? Or is it too early to tell? Because they have three teams ahead of them in that race right now. Those three teams ahead of them in that race, uh, especially I'd say the Phillies and the Braves. The Braves, they have such bright futures. Yeah. Their futures are honestly some of the best in baseball right now. And the Nationals just don't have that. So either they blow it up or – they sell to go for one last run this year, and but at the end of this year it needs to be blown up. No yeah. matter no matter what, you can sell at this deadline and choose to blow it up right now, or you can buy and look to see if you can take that next step and just maybe maybe go for that championship ring. Maybe look for your Kawhi Leonard and go for that one year rental and try to win that championship, and then and then consider your options from there. But just just what the Nationals have right now just isn't going to cut it. The only problem I have with that is, if, you know, baseball, obviously, you know, the influence of one player obviously isn't as heavy as one in basketball. The other problem I have is if you're trying to make a push for one year, that's your decision as management, and you're willing to give up those resources in the minor league system, are you slowing down your, your process of rebuilding? Because right now they have a lot of pieces down there. They have, you know, Keyboom, they have Robles, Solo. If they start rebuilding right now, I think it would be a shorter rebuild than a normal team because they're not really they're not stripping down everything from their farm system. They have a decent farm system and they have a you know they have a good foundation there uh, that are just about to make the MLB. Like Robles is making an impact and Soto's making an impact. I think we're gonna find that if they do start to rebuild right now, don't give up any resources for the postseason. I think it'll be a quicker rebuild than what people might be might be thinking right now. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. It's but. Looking at that Nationals team, how hard is it going to be to sell to your fan base oh, when you have 
Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg as your one-two punch at the top of your rotation. You're saying you can't build an effective pitching staff and bullpen around those two studs? Like, look at the Washington Nationals and the players that they've had. They would have to say, we've repeatedly failed at making that jump, and now we're going to blow it all up? I, as a, as a fan of the Washington Nationals, if I saw that, and I would ultimately understand that that was the best, but I would be... I would be livid. I would be absolutely livid that management and the team wasn't able to take that next step with such amazing players year after year on that roster. And you know what? It's it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that just because the Blue Jays are sort of in a similar situation that the Nationals are in with more success in the postseason, I might add. But they made some decisions with Donaldson. You know, the return that they got for Donaldson, the the, the way that the things ended where we lost Edwin to, to free agency and the fan base reacting to that, you know, I think Scherzer's a bigger name than all three of those guys, like Bautista and Carnacion and Donaldson. You know, I think, you know, management's looking in there like we're, they're kind of worried about what kind of reaction they're going to get from the fan base, giving up guys like Max Scherzer. Anthony Rendon could also be another option to leave. But at the same time, you know, you want to make sure that you're also not – you're also making sure that you're getting the value for them uh, because, you know, who knows? Hopefully this doesn't go, uh, you know, if you hold up too long, an injury could come. You know, Max Scherzer could get Tommy John, you know, who really knows. And then you're looking at a player to be named later situation like Donaldson. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more sold on them selling right now. But uh, for other teams as well, if you look at it, like the San Francisco Giants, uh, other teams as well. Does the line does the line in terms of when you need to sell or buy or when you need to decide? Is it you know is it fixed at one point or is it very between teams? It's very between teams. It's very between their outlook, their farm system, and everything. But here's the way I feel: the Washington Nationals can sell it to their fan base. We made the push during the Harper era, and we just couldn't do it. I think the Washington Nationals lucked out by not giving three hundred million plus oh, to yeah. Harper. I think that that is one of the worst contracts that I've ever seen given out to a player that I honestly don't think is all that much of a superstar. No, he, uh, he just, he strikes out far too much. I don't think he has a great attitude in the clubhouse. He, he's just, honestly, he's a, he's good to great player, but I definitely don't think he's one of the best players in baseball, but you can easily make that sell saying, Hey, we went for it during the Bryce era. Bryce left. We offered him the money and he left. But, hey, like, now we're going to sell all the assets and try to go find another Bryce Harper to build around. And that's the way you sell that to your fan base. And their rebuild is going to be a lot faster. By that time, their rebuild comes to uh, the stage where they're ready to compete again. Maybe the Braves and the Phillies have had their run at the share and they're going to be on the decline. That's true. Yeah, you can almost put the blame on Harper, really, for the Washington Nationals. Because once Harper left... You know, the, the sort of attitude towards Washington Nationals turned less of a contender and they more turned to the Phillies and Braves in that division. And by the time they are contenders again, those guys that, are, you know, are right now studs for the, the, the Braves and the Phillies will be more, especially in Harper's case, will be more to the, the latter end of their careers, um, especially with the Harper contract. I think the Phillies are definitely going to regret that contract, uh, you know, when he's at the end of it. It's going to be one of those, uh, you know, those contracts that just like the Miguel Cabrera's where they're getting a lot of criticism for those. Um, but we're going to move on to another current event that happened recently, Madison Baumgartner. Oh, my Lord. And Max Muncy 
gone to a little bit. The NL West rivalry was renewed at uh, Oracle Park the other day. Do you have any comments on uh, Max Muncy essentially? Um, you know, Max Bumgarner didn't like the way that uh, Max Muncy, um, you know, celebrated his home run over in McCovey Cove. What are your comments on that, that situation? Oh, I have, I have a little very, very strong opinion on this situation. As somebody who's played at a high level for the last 18 years, the unwritten rules of the game are obviously a second nature to me. But as a pitcher, if you give up a shot, that's on you. Unless the batter is like throwing his bat at your team's dugout or is literally standing at the plate for maybe 15 seconds, like let the guy let the guy have his home run. That guy then just hit a home run. That guy put it into Peggy's coat. That that was a shot. And Madison Bumgarner is the ultimate hold me back type of guy. Like that guy barks at everybody and looks so looks like he's ready to go, but not once is he ever ready to back up the words that he says. He is the ultimate hold me back guy in sports. And Max Muncy completely destroyed him with that quote that I saw, which I thought was one of the <laughs> best quotes that I've ever seen in baseball. If you don't like what was it? If you if you don't want me to watch the ball, go go get it out of the water. Yeah, something along the lines of he basically told him to go get the ball, the ball out of the, the water. And he and I went back to look at that clip, and Muncy didn't even pimp that home run. I didn't really. think so either. He no. and he barely even watched it. He did a little bit of a he did a little bit of a, like a bat drop sort of watch, but he didn't really do like guys have done much worse. Tim Anderson has done much worse on multiple occasions this season. I, I don't think it was that bad. Yeah, and it's. It was just when I saw Bumgarner's reaction, I'm like, okay, Bumgarner reacts like that all the time. But uh, it must have been like maybe Muncy like flipped his bat or just stared at Bumgarner. No, like he would, he just looked at a ball that he probably had close to 500 feet. Like that guy absolutely destroyed that ball. Like Bumgarner needs to focus. Like no one's gonna start. Like when Bumgarner retires now, the perception around him when he won all those World Series was like that guy is a playoff legend. Like yeah. that guy, oh my lord, that guy came in so clutch. But now the the perception around Bumgarner is going to be what a hothead. Exactly. That guy, yep. that guy has no idea what it's like to be a player in the current game. Yeah, no, for sure. I think he's going to be a hot market in the trade deadline because of that playoff experience. But right now, if he doesn't get another shot, he's just going to be known as a guy that just you know beat or uh, you know barked at the hitters for really no really reason. Like I mean, Max Muncy, I know it's a rivalry. But, you know, in Max Muncy's case, as a left-handed hitter myself, it feels good to hit off a home run off another lefty. It's just a special thing, their lefty-lefty matchup. He didn't really – I don't think he celebrated that hard, though. Like, especially now where it seems to be a little bit more lenient. If, if a guy like Derek Diedrich, remember how he reacted against Pittsburgh? What would Madison do if Diedrich reacted to, like, on a home run off him in, you know, in that situation? What Madison always does, he would go, say a couple words to him, and then go complain to the umpire. Yeah. And the umpire wasn't – he didn't have the best game. I know he was likely frustrated with the strike zone. Uh, that contributed to it. Uh, but I love Max Muncy's reaction. He stood up to, for himself there. Uh, told him to go get the ball himself. I love it. But And that that's absolutely phenomenal. And I and in a, in a league where we have guys like Car, Carlos Gomez just absolutely pimping home runs left, right, and center, what Madison Bumgarner is starting to remind me of is a Brian McCann. Yes. The guy that – 
thinks that he is the sheriff of baseball and he, it's his job to enforce all of the unwritten rules when he just needs to keep his mouth shut and go and do his job. And yeah. he's not doing his job. If he, if he did his job, there no one would have a reason. No one would be pimping home runs off yeah, him. Yeah, if he was doing his job, that ball wouldn't have been out of the ballpark. But I saw the second at bat. I thought Madison was going to hit him. I, I, I was looking for it because, um, I you know, just knowing Bumgarner and all the controversy around him, I thought he was going to hit him. He didn't end up hitting him. Um, but that would have been definitely an, an addition to this uh, – to the, this current events. And another one I noticed here that Granke was throwing no hitter into the seventh inning yesterday. Um, I want your opinion on as well. He said that pitching with a no hitter is, or pitching a no hitter or trying to get a no hitter is more of a hassle than the reward. What's your thoughts on that? I 100% agree. Uh, it's obviously a great feat and no doubt that if a, my biggest, uh, what grinds my gears the most is when a manager pulls a guy when he has a no hitter. That yeah. that really bothers me yeah. because the chances of being in that situation again may never happen. But when a guy is going to throw a no hitter, it just all of a sudden it becomes about that guy less about winning the ball game. And if his arm is tired or something, if a guy pulls himself, that's fine. But he's never going to with a no hitter, and it becomes. And I guess that sort of contradicts me hating when a manager pulls a guy because. Arm care is extremely important for these pitchers. But, yeah, it becomes a massive hassle, and you know you have a chance to put your name in record book history, and you're going to do anything to do it. And when you're that deep into the game and you're still throwing, like you're throwing in the first inning trying to get that, like that's putting so much unnecessary stress on the arm and risks further injury or maybe even – being closer to Tommy John for some of these guys. Yeah, for sure. Not only stress on the arm, but just mentally during the game as well. Like, you know, you're, it's more of a, I think it's also more of a hassle mentally because you, you know, you're not thinking about the game as much as you would. Now you're, now you got the no hair in the back of your mind. It becomes more of a, a personal, a personal, like, you know, objective as opposed to a team objective. Uh, and, you know, I think Granky makes a good point. And also, who's throwing no hitter? You know, like some of these guys have thrown perfect games and no hitters you haven't even heard of. Is being is a no hitter, you know. I, I know it's a, a big accomplishment, but is it, you know, how do these guys like Dallas Brain get a perfect game without actually, like, you know, you don't you don't hear about them after that? Uh, is a no hitter potentially more overrated than it than it should be? No, not at all. Uh, the guys that are in the MLB, like obviously, there's sometimes such a gap between, say, you look at a guy like Clayton Kershaw and look at a guy like Clayton Richard on the Jays. Just such a you would say there's just a massive gap between those two pitchers. But what what's the reality is, is both of them have the stuff to make it to the major league level. What Kershaw has is just the consistency to do that day after – or start after start after start, whereas a lot of guys don't. But their stuff is good enough to get to that level and dominate. So a day where they have that stuff, like they have their 100% stuff, like – just tip your hat to them and say, like, they, they earned that. Like, they earned – they worked their lives to get there, perfecting their craft. Maybe they didn't nail the consistency that they needed to to do it at the highest level, but they definitely had the stuff to deserve that no-hitter. And you look – I've watched that Dallas Braden perfect game so many times, just every single out. That guy didn't strike out many guys. Like, that guy pitched a contact. Yeah. And pitching a contact is becoming such – is becoming so outdated 
in this level of baseball. It's about how hard can you throw and how wipe out what big of a wipeout slider, uh, how how much does your twelve six curveball drop? Like that's that's what people are looking for, which is why Dallas Keuchel didn't get the money that he needed. That guy is not a strikeout pitcher. That guy hits his corners and gets weak contact. This sort of reminds me of Mark Burley. Never really striking out guys, always pitching the contact, keeping the ball in play. I think if Mark Burley was a rookie in this uh, in this era of baseball, I don't think Mark Burley would have made it by by single A. By single A. Ooh, I don't think they it's a hot take. That I just don't think with the way baseball is going now that it's all about guys who can touch 100 miles an hour. Those are the type of guys that scouts are looking at. It's no longer about the guys that like Marco Estrada. When Marco Estrada had his stuff, he was untouchable. That fastball changeup, I still will always maintain, is the best combination in baseball. But what the scouts say, which is a fair point, is once they lose their pinpoint command. Yep. It's batting practice. Yeah. And, and especially in today's day and age where people are just trying to swing for the fences, it seems like now. They're just looking for those meatballs that, you know, this is probably vulnerable to because, you know, he's – if he misses his location, that's a problem with, like, slow, slow throwing pitchers is that if you miss your location, it's going a far way as opposed to a guy that throws 99. If you miss your location and put one over the plate, you might not get away – you, you might get away with it um, in that sense as well. But, you know, I think – it's, it's, you know, it, that's what my point was as opposed to like why people are, you know, people are saying that people are, or hitters are now focusing on home runs more because pitchers are getting better. I think it could be the opposite. I think it could be pitchers are now just throwing to the point where they're trying to throw their arm out and trying to throw as hard as they can as opposed to actually pitching. You think there's a, now there's been an evolution between pitching and, th- uh, and going more towards throwing in the major leagues? Oh, very much so, just because of the, how, what, how many guys do we have in our farm system that can touch 100 miles an hour? You look at all of these, uh, the pitching ninja who's taken over Twitter yeah. and all of these apps or products that are associated with pitchers, you see all these things are being retweeted of guys trying to make it. And it's all of them saying, hey, look, I can touch 100 miles an hour. And those are the guys that get looked at instead of the guys that are saying, hey, look, here's a bullpen of me hitting 94 miles an hour on all four corners of the plate every single pitch. To be honest, I would rather have that than a guy throwing 100 miles an hour but can't control it. But what they say is you can teach a guy where to throw the ball. You can't teach him to throw it harder. That's true. But control also is not easy to teach. It's teachable, but it's also not easy to teach. You look at guys that have had control problems their whole year, their whole careers. But uh, definitely an interesting discussion. We'll have to touch about that more uh, more later on. But we're going to talk about some of the, the wild card pictures early on in the season. We're in mid-June. I know it might be a little bit premature, but, you know, there's some close races and there's some question marks going on. Room, how about you start us off here on some of the, the, the wild card pictures? Uh, the AL East right now is very, very intriguing. Between two and a half games of the current leader, which is Texas, you have Texas, Boston, Cleveland, Oakland, the Angels, and the White Sox. And that's all for the second wild card. To be honest, a lot of people will say, oh, I see the Rays fading. But I don't see the Rays no, fading. I, I think the Rays are going to keep that first wild card spot. and Or maybe even take over the division from the Yankees. Either way, I think the Yankees and the Rays are going to flip between that division and first wild card spot. But I don't – like, I do have some ideas. But what do you think? Who do you think separates from the pack here? And who do you think fades away between those six teams? Well, I agree with you on the Texas point. I think 
that uh, it's too it's too late in the season now to the, to think that the Rays are now luck. 40, 41 and twenty seven with a plus ninety three run differential. Like that's that's insane. And you have guys like you know you have the best pitching one of the best pitching stats right now in the MLB with Blake Snell. Glass now when he was when he was healthy he was ripping uh, uh, pitching very well. Uh, I think I can see Texas not staying in that second wild card spot. Uh, I have more optimism in, in Boston coming up. I think the AL East is going to control the two wild card spots. Uh, Cleveland just seems like a different team right now, especially offensively. They don't really have – they lost a lot of pieces offensively with Michael Brantley and uh, Edwin Encarnacion, and, uh, you know, they, they just don't seem to to be as effective as they were in prior years. And even their pitching, Carlos or Carlos Carrasco, is, uh, he's not really been as effective as Carrasco, he was. Yeah, Carrasco has really been a big decline. Yeah, he's been a big decline this year as well. Uh, and even uh, Corey Kluber wasn't really Corey Kluber when he, before he was injured either. So – Big question marks there as well. But uh, I, I think in the AL, I, you have to go with Boston coming up. I don't see Boston staying out of a playoff spot for, for the rest of the year. I, you know, they're too good and too too rich of a team. I hate to use the money as an aspect, but I think they can really do a lot at the trade deadline based on their money. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think Texas leaves and Boston goes up. Uh, and I don't think the Angels have enough pitching to be uh, be a wild card team. The, the Athletics are always a wild card. You never know with them. You always seem to underestimate them. So that's kind of like uh, – that's where my, my thoughts are on that. The Moneyball team. The Moneyball team. You can never give up on Billy Bean. So in that wild card picture, I think team, the three teams that are going to fade out for sure are the Angels, the White Sox, and the Rangers. I, I don't see any of them. I'm bearing uh, St. Louis Blues type resurrection, <laughs> uh, really making a push into the postseason. Uh, shout out to Shohei Otani, though, on the Angels, yeah, who just hit for the cycle. Yeah, he's been hot lately. I, could just, I just picked him up on my fantasy team, so hopefully that, he keeps that up. And hopefully he can come back from Tommy John because that guy, that guy is a hundred mile an hour pitcher who can spot up. Yeah, and that's that's dangerous. And he can hit home runs both sides of the plate. He's he's a big big impact. So. If, the, if we're taking those three teams out of the equation, uh, leaves us with Boston, Cleveland, and Oakland. And I honestly think I think Cleveland is going to sell a couple of those arms. Maybe even the Boston. Maybe the Boston. Yeah. And I honestly think Boston should do everything that they can to pick up those arms, but I don't think either of them are going to end up in that second wild card spot. You I don't think you don't think Boston's going to end up in that second wild card no. spot? No. I think Oakland. Will. Oakland. A couple hot takes from Varun today. Oakland's going to be the second wild card spot. Right. I, and I would love to see that because teams like Oakland and Tampa Bay, who play the game the right way, yeah. don't have the money that a team like Boston has to go out there. Oh, like Tampa Bay would not be Tampa Bay without Kevin Cash. No, he he he. The things he does, people are you know they. It's it's amazing to see people's reactions. He was like the first guy. Jose Alvarado was playing first base a couple times last year. Like just the things that he does to, to make sure that he gets the best value out of his players, unbelievable. Um, and that's the way you should actually be playing baseball. I think that's where you know that's where you have the competitive advantages because all these other teams are doing the other thing. While the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, everyone doesn't like the Tampa Bay Rays. They seem to always beat the Blue Jays. I don't like you know they they always struggle. Uh, the Blue Jays always struggle against the Rays, especially at the drop. Oh yeah, it's unbelievable how. Uh, you know, both have domes, but uh, the success seems to waver in Tropicana. But the Rays always find a way to win ball games. I know they have the plus nine three run differential, but even those close ball games, they seem to always fight out and win. They just have that knack to win. 
that's why I think they're going to stay in the AL wildcard spot. But Oakland, yeah, I, I mean, it's a hot take, but I can see it happening just because Oakland has always seemed to, to fly under the radar. Oakland is a very similar team yeah. to the Tampa Bay Rays. And the reason is because they're such small market teams that the motivation isn't coming from the front office and necessarily even the fan base as much to go out there and make a push. Like, look at Tampa's uh, stadium. It's, it's sad to see it's how little attendance they get. I would love for a team. To be honest, Tampa Bay and Oakland are like the two teams that I'm going to cheer for the hardest in the AL this year. And yeah. it's just because in a case like that, that's that's a case of a clubhouse very much believing in their leader. In uh, Tampa Bay's case, Kevin Cash, and Oakland's case, Bob Melvin. I think he's he's still the manager there. Yeah. And just coming together as a clubhouse, and you're playing for your teammates every single time. You're going out there. Every single guy is going out there to do his job exactly. and nothing more. Yeah. And they're playing baseball the right way. And that's uh, – I've taken over coaching a 13U elite team, and uh, essentially I'm the manager on that team, and that's the biggest thing I'm stressing to them is, hey – I don't want you guys going out there and trying to play for maybe your grandma who's coming to watch that game or uh, yourselves because you want good stats or everything. I want you guys going out there and playing for each other. Like coming together as a team is the only way that we're going to be better because these guys are relatively new in the elite ball organization and as a, as an organization and as a team. And we just sometimes don't have the talent that some of the other elite teams have yet we're beating teams like that because we're playing the game the right way. We're using small ball and unorthodox strategies. The opener is one of the, one of my favorite things that I've seen. So you like using the opener. I do. I love the opener because here's the thing in my mind, the guy, if you can get four or five quality innings and get it into that late game scenario where you have the pitchers you can trust, you're going to win ballgames, which is exactly what the opener does. So my question is, you know, are you just delaying the inevitable when you use an opener? Because instead of giving up runs early in the ballgame, now you're giving up runs in the middle innings, uh, especially a guy like Edwin Jackson. I know the Blue Jays use an opener. Uh, he didn't he didn't pitch terribly, but uh, like, do you think – is there a mental component to using an opener for a starter? Or are you just really – I find that they're just sort of delaying the inevitable to where now you're giving up runs the second time through as opposed to the first time through. I feel that the opener motivates pitching staff more. Uh, every reliever has a dream of starting. Even every, if it's rolling for one inning, Ryan Stanek. It's just going out there before the game. That As a guy who's played the game for so long, my favorite things that – especially when I miss about baseball when I'm not playing baseball is taking infield before the game uh, – just getting loose in the bullpen before a start or doing that long toss before a game and then putting your headphones in and putting that pre-start playlist on. Like these guys don't have that opportunity when they're in the com- coming out in the seventh, eighth inning. But even if you're throwing the first two innings, you know, you're getting the ball, you know, uh, you know, you have an hour to prep you out there. The fans are there watching you warm up. Like I'm sure that means a lot to these guys and they want to go out there and they want to do a hell of a job. And maybe they're giving up runs in the second order, but it's the opener is very much a rotating circle, right? So you know that if one day you're going to have the starting role and then you're going to have the middle inning control. But I don't think the guys that are used to close out games and your setup guys are should ever be 
in the first six innings. Oh no, they're all they're all also accustomed, especially like veteran veteran guys. They're all accustomed to playing that seven through nine. I think it could be a valuable piece for a middle reliever that's young and that hasn't really had that experience in the bullpen. It could be another option for them as well, especially a guy that started in and uh, like you know Sam Gabilio who started in uh, in like in AAA and in, in the farm system that comes up to the MLB and gets a bullpen piece. I think he could potentially relate more to the the starting role for for you know as an opener as opposed to coming in in the sixth or seventh thing. And I think uh, I think a lot of people need to start going away from the old school baseball mentality and start to appreciate what baseball is turning into. Do you like the shift? I love the shift. You like the shift. I love the shift. I have always been such a strategic baseball mind in terms of like wanting to do newer things. Like I think the suicide squeeze is one. I, I honestly don't understand why teams don't suicide squeeze one because it's almost a guaranteed run yeah. every single time. Well, you got to get the bunt down. I don't know if you could do that with Toronto, but with most teams. With yeah. most, <laughs> I think like, and that's something like I think people need to work on. Like get, just get the bunt down. Like, that's a guaranteed run. Like, there's so many little things in baseball that just make you love the game so much. And you can take each thing, like the shift, in a different way. And the shift, to be honest, like, that's just a chess match piece. Yeah. Which is another reason I absolutely hate this uh, this rule that a pitcher has to face a minimum of three batters yeah. when he comes in. is because the chess match between bringing in a lefty to face a lefty and a righty to face a righty and certain players to pitch to certain players, like, I love that. Like that's that's kind of a chess match piece, which is why I never was a really big fan of John Gibbons because I felt that guy really didn't know how to manufacture runs or utilize his bullpen. And that's very important in tight ball games. It's very important in the playoffs. Potentially, that could be a reason why they didn't have more success in getting past the AL Central uh, or the ALCS. Excuse me. Uh, I think Blue Jay fans, you know, people in Toronto, I don't think they appreciate the small ball aspect as much as other cities do, like Tampa Bay. They're just not exposed to it. When's the last time? Like you know, I, I go out to ball games. I watch teams play. I watch ball games on TV. There's a lot more bunting. There's a lot more stealing. Not just from NL teams, but from AL teams as well. Like the Rays, they're firing on the base pass all day long. They're, they're trying to make plays out of nothing. And I think the Blue Jays, especially when you're not that, I don't want to say talented, but you you don't have that that ability like they used to. And they had like four guys that could literally have you know that could literally just take the ball to the ballpark on a consistent basis. Do you think the Blue Jays and Montoya, which I'm almost surprised he hasn't done more often because he used to, he was from the Rays. Do you think they have to adopt more of Cash's small ball tactics that they haven't been utilizing? 100%. And I wouldn't be surprised if Montoya is actually holding back a bit just to save it for when this team is, is, is ready to contend. Right. You don't want to have that reputation before they, they're really a big deal. And then once once it's legit, then you start using those to win tight ball games. It's almost maybe I can see him. Maybe want, not wanting to tip his hand as much before, because what's the point of tipping your hand when you know you're gonna go sixty and hundred and two? That's very true. Fair point. But some teams also like the Rays. They're, they're you know before they were uh, you know recognized franchise, they came up pretty quick uh, under the, under people's um, you know under people's like eyes, uh, especially when they made the wild card trip and Evan Longoria hit the home run against the Yankees. Oh, that was such an amazing baseball. They, they, they did that, you know, as an underrated team, and they were supposed to be like a, a sixty-one hundred team, and they ended up making the wild card because of that. Um, so you don't think he that Montoya should exercise it right now, but later on when they're more of a, a competitive ball club. I even that year the Rays did have some of those pieces. They were just underperforming, right? And 
I think I think the Jays, even if they uh, they play to the best possible version of themselves, would just be the a fringe second wildcard team. They would be, I would say, in the same position as Texas right now. They would be in the same position as Texas, and just a, that's why baseball really shows like what teams have it and what teams don't. Whereas like you could you could fluke out for a season in the NFL and maybe just go nine and seven and almost like just sneak into the playoffs, whatever. But over 162 games, like the truth will come out. Yeah. The truth will come out on what you have, what your depth is, uh, who's legit, who's not legit, who's a pretender and who's a contender. Right. All of those questions will be answered over 162 games because sample size is massive. Oh yeah. And the Blue Jays have always had trouble with their depth. And I think that's what Chapao and Atkins are trying to do right now. I know, People don't see the effect because it's in the minor leagues, but they're signing all they're signing all these guys in minor league contracts for the depth. Because in this situation, you have Schumacher out, you have all these guys with injuries. Uh, Tapares out on the sixty day IL now. This is such an opportunity for all these guys to show that they can be yeah. part part of the bigger plan, part of the bigger picture, right? And they're based like the baseball draft, like the MLB draft is such a lottery. Like oh, you have no idea what you're getting. I don't. I don't really pay attention to the MLB draft because you never really know. Exactly. And uh, a guy who actually didn't end up getting drafted but just got signed yeah. with the Blue Jays is uh, Brock Dodgers pitcher Alex Nolan, which is absolutely phenomenal to see a guy going from OUA baseball to professional baseball. He's just got word today that he's going to start off his career with the Vancouver Canadians. Awesome. And as a guy who's been playing against him for the last four years and watching him deal, like you could always see he was special, but I will always wonder, I'm like, like, I guess this guy's never going to get his opportunity, but holy, like, wow. Yeah. Like an OUA player just signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. And that is phenomenal for baseball in Canada. Great thing for Canadian baseball, for sure. We're going to move on to the NL side because this race is a little bit tighter so, Bruce, when you look at this NL playoff picture right now, I know it's early, but what do you what do you see going forward? You have the Cubs, you have the Phillies, you have the Rockies, you have the Diamondbacks. You have a big tight race right now. What do you see going forward? I think uh, those four teams that you mentioned and potentially St. Louis are really the only teams that would have a remote shot of capturing either of those two wildcard spots. I think every team after that, such as the Mets, Padres, the Nats, the Reds, the Pirates. I think I think their season. Uh, I think they're they're already looking forward to next year. To be honest, though, I think the race really comes down to three teams, and between those three teams, uh, the Cubs are one of them. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them win the Central. But Milwaukee is another team built around a phenomenal, phenomenal player, Christian Yelich, that could hold that first place spot, but. Really, it comes down to the second-place team in that division, the Phillies and the Rockies. Yeah. And you mentioned also the Chicago Cubs have, I think, more depth than the the Milwaukee Brewers. Just you know, And that's huge, especially in the second half of the season. You never know what kind of injuries Milwaukee will have. If you rely on a guy too much like Yelich, if he ever goes down with something, that could be a huge impact to the lineup. If you see like a, a Cubs guy like Chris Bryant even go down, you have other options that can carry an offense. You know, Javier Baez is there. Um, you know, you have Anthony Rizzo there as well. And, uh, you know, in the bullpen, they just picked up Craig Kimbrell. Uh, if he can be effective in the bullpen, uh, closing up ball games, you know, instead of a guy like Steve Ciszek, 
Do you, do you think he, that guy's not a closer? Uh, no way. Like so, if you can get Craig Kimbrell to be an effective closer and close out ball games for you, I can see them taking over that spot. So with that said, I think Milwaukee takes a wild card spot, but I think Colorado takes over Philadelphia in that second part. I 100% agree with you because uh, going down the stretch run, you need veteran leadership in your clubhouse. And Kutch, Andrew McCutcheon could have been that guy, yeah. but it was really unfortunate to see him go down with that ACL tear. And one of the most likable, respected guys in baseball is an Ironman, a workhorse, and it broke my heart to see an injury like that. But really, on that Philly squad, they're either young or they're old. Do you really see a leader maybe other than Jake Arrieta? You know, I'm trying to think about that as well. You know, you're looking at every single piece. I can't really see a, a, a you know, a predominant. Like, you can't look at the roster and say, yep, there's your leader, right? Uh, I think Bryce Harper could potentially be their leader just because of that big contract. I think with that contract comes responsibility, and I believe that uh, Phillies players and fans as well, they're looking for him to take more of that leadership role, that more responsibility uh, than what he would have had coming into the MLB. Uh, you know, also another name that pops up is JT Romuto. Your, your battery may also – you know, especially in the infield, they, they command the infield. So I think a catcher also naturally takes over that catcher um, or the, the leadership role, I should say. Uh, but, yeah, you look at Colorado and you see one guy. No one or another. Yeah. And that, that team rallies around that guy like no other team I've seen in baseball. And think about all of the years where the Rockies have just made an absolute run in the second half. Oh, yeah. The Rockies are probably the best second half team in baseball that I think I've seen throughout my entire life. Every year, it seems like, oh, whoa, the Rockies have won ten games in a row in the yeah. seven half, and they just seem to pop up and uh, into the picture that you never really thought of going on. Maybe the air out there in Denver just gets more—I uh, don't know how it works—but maybe balls just start flying out of the ballpark yeah. more in the summer. Who knows? Must give them better mentality for sure. The Cardinals are an interesting, uh, interesting team uh, here. I don't think the Diamondbacks are going to necessarily be in the playoff picture much longer. I think they're going to drop below St. Louis. I think the Mets also just have too hard of a division to get games. You right? You have the Phillies, you have the the Braves, you have the Nationals, who I think hopeful, you know, I think they're going to pick up. So I think the Mets just have too tough of a division to sustain that that ability to get a wild card spot. But the St. Louis Cardinals, I know they're in a tough division, but they have a very deep team. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the St. Louis Cardinals potentially giving the NL wildcard situation an all-NL Central um, place. I think the St. Louis Cardinals do have a deep team, but I just think I think they their players, none of them, are going to overachieve. And they're going to need one or two of them to overachieve to really have a run. And Carlos Martinez has had a tough, tough season so far, and he was supposed to be their guy. And yeah. it's really tough to see – See something like that, and to be in the spot they're at, like they're not they're not too far off. But look at their division. You got the Cubs and the Brewers. Like it's tough. It's 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 going to be really tough. And that's exactly the same situation the Mets are in. And everyone talks about how good the AL East is. Not many people have been talking about how like amazing the NL East is. Yeah, the NL East. I think has succeeded the AL East this season right now as the most dominant division or the toughest one everyone says i don't want to go and pitch in the al east but i sure wouldn't want to go pitch in the nl east yeah no i wouldn't want to face guys you know atlanta has a, that lineup acuna Elbies, donaldson you, you can list the names off almost reminds you of how the blue jays lineup was 
back in their 2015-2016 days. It's ridiculous. Josh Donaldson was a phenomenal pickup for the yeah. Braves. Uh, the only thing, they may have made a mistake, but Donaldson is not signing into a couple more years. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, like with the run that they're having, I don't see why Donaldson wouldn't want to stay in Atlanta. He seems to have found a nice home there. And I don't think I've seen such a long, smooth, effective swing as Acuna is yeah. in a long time. That that guy can stroke. Yeah, that guy can absolutely hit. He's a phenomenal hitter. Uh, and a great defender right now. He's been playing center field, so he's able to contribute defensively as well. But yeah, Acuna has a great stroke. He can reach. He, you know, he can elevate balls from the, on the outside of the plate. He can. Uh, he hits to all fields. It's uh, honestly almost reminds you of you know, kind of has like a, a Donaldson type of smoothness to his his stroke. And exactly. And you look at uh, you look at defense. You mentioned Acuna is playing center field. The Braves have such a phenomenal defensive team. And look at the left. Side of that infield, mm-hmm. we have Josh Donaldson and Dansby Swanson, who's probably one of the smoothest shortstops in the game. When he got taken first overall out of Vandy, I was like, oh, amazing. Yeah. That guy is going to be awesome. And he has been, especially on the defensive side of the ball. What an amazing shortstop that guy is. Look He's, at that tandem in the middle, too. He, you know, he, Elby's is at, at second base. That double play uh, tandem right there, dangerous right now. Exactly. And so, like, Atlanta's going to win games off pitching and defense. Yeah. But then look at their offense. Where's the weak spot on that team? Yeah, I know. And, and we, we're not even talking about Freddie Freeman, and he's in the middle of that order. Like, we haven't even mentioned him yet. And he's the other he's the other piece of that infield. Yeah. But what? It's, 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 an ama- it's an amazing defensive team. It's an amazing pitch team, an amazing coach team, and yeah. a great offensive team. So I don't, there's – I wouldn't be surprised to see Atlanta go on a nice little division run, uh, division win run that they used to yeah. back in the day. Yeah, back when they had the John Smoltz, the Greg Maxes. Oh, whew, that team was also that team was built more pitching. This team's a built. I think it's more emphasis on hitting than pitching. I think this team. I think this team's more balanced. It is. Yeah, and it's just so much more stronger. It, yeah, and there's they're above 500 against teams that are above 500 right now. That, that's a good sign. I think. The Philadelphia Phillies, I don't think they're as – you know, if you match up the Atlanta Braves with the Philadelphia Phillies, I, I still don't think the, the, the Phillies can compete. Uh, if you put them in a seven-game series, I genuinely think Atlanta wins at 4-0, 4-1. That – I don't think the Phillies yeah. have what it takes. They might get one good start. And then exactly. That's why I game at 4-1. Yeah. Maybe Aaron Nola goes out there and absolutely dices. Yeah. And you win one game. I did not know. And then you have these young guys like Max Fry that, that, that seem to be making their way into the rotation and settling in there. It, it just the, And they're young. That's the biggest thing for the Braves. Like They could be a decade dominating the, the NL East. And that, that's scary for teams like Philly and uh, New York. Yeah, but big contracts like the Canoe contract and the Bryce Harper contract. And, and the Nats. Like yeah. I was mentioning earlier, like the Nats are maybe rebuild and hope the other teams have had their shot to glory, but maybe the Braves are even better by the time they're done. Yeah. But maybe maybe the Nats are in a similar situation as the Jays. So you know that when you build and you're ready to compete, Boston and New York aren't going to necessarily fall off. Like one of those two teams is going to be right there. That's the problem. The yeah, that's the problem. So they're gonna have they're gonna have to do something like what the Jays did to get back into contention. But definitely the Nats should be built. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. They're they're eight they're seven games out of the wild card, and that's not even considering who they have to play against. More often than not, against the right NL East 
uh, division rivalries there. But if the Phillies can't re- like necessarily grow their core into leaders over the next two to three years, I could genuinely see them being right up there with Atlanta. Oh, no, for sure. I think Philadelphia and Atlanta are going to be the one-two punch in the NL East four times to come because you have to – you know, you have Bryce Harper. You have to revolve around them. I know – he might not be the most consistent player, but you, you know you pay him for for a reason. You have to revolt, like you know. Man, forget Bryce Harper. Look at JT Romero, yeah. G Segura as well, and look at look at two guys in your rotation, Aaron Nola and Jake Arrieta. Uh, Aaron Nola can be one of those veteran voices in a year or two, yeah. and if he's not already, because that guy that guy has been there for a few years now, and I think I think he's starting to he's starting to. Put it together on how to be a complete ball player, not just on the field, but off the field. Right. And don't forget about Zach Eflin as well. He's had a very good season for the Philadelphia Phillies uh, as well. But uh, Varun, it was great to have you here. I think we had a very good discussion here on a lot of different topics. But uh, it's great having you here. We'll have to have you on another time. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, you know, if, if you have any any hot takes going forward, any predictions over the next couple of weeks? Uh the next couple of weeks, I think my hot take would definitely be Calvin Vigio's OBP is about 450. About 450? Okay. That's interesting. I think I'm going to go with uh, – uh, I know Watson last week would go back to last week. I said that Lords Gurriel Jr. is going to get a hitting streak up to 10. He was at 7 at the time. He didn't actually reach it. Uh, but he still has reach base, I believe, uh, every game except for twice or two games since he's been back, which is, you know, if he's not getting hits, he's getting walks. So that's uh, definitely a good feat there and promising. Uh, I think Kevin Biggio is average is going to go up to, uh, it's going to go up in one tick about 250 uh, next week. I, I wouldn't be surprised. He's hit the ball hard uh, too. That's the thing, right? Uh, I wouldn't be, su- I would love to go see uh, his, uh, his true batting average. Yeah. I would love to go see like based on, how hard he's hitting the ball. Like that was Vlad's problem when he was starting yeah. out with the Jays. He was, he was hitting the ball hard, just right at people. Exit velocities, uh, you know, that you see at the top of the, like at the top of the list, but mm-hmm. hard outs. I would say my hot take for the rest of the year though, would be the open athletic sliding. All right. Second, second wild card spot over Bo- and Boston and Cleveland, both, both dropping the October dance. That'll be definitely something that we have to look forward to over the next couple of months. Um, I've already said my hot take for like the, the L right. I said the St. Louis Cardinals will win the division. Well, that's a very hot take. We'll see. I know, you know, it's, we're looking, possible. it's possible. They're a good team. I, I still have faith in those guys, but we'll have to, we'll have to see. Hey, after seeing what the St. Louis Blues did. Exactly. The Maybe they rally against that. Maybe they rally against that. Same city. Same city, same, same fans. Maybe they just, uh, you know. Take something from maybe they from the saw Bush Stadium during Game Seven. Did you see all the people in there? Yes. Maybe oh, they're yeah. gonna want to recreate that for a baseball. Atmosphere. Oh, that'd be uh, what a city for or what a, what a year for St. Louis that would be. But uh, definitely be interesting going forward. And it was great having you on the show. We'll see you guys next week for episode four. We have a new guest without Watson again. The guy's on vacation all the time. We'll have a new guest next week, and we'll see you guys next time.